Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the September 22, 2015 edition of Ask a Leader. Today is also National Voter Registration Day. I got to hear it straight from Valerie Jarrett's uh, mouth here at a, a then a, a special White House uh, conference call. I can tell you that it is today, and that puts makes us all very busy. And I, the host, invite you to head to vote.usa.gov for how you can deepen your own democratic experience. September sees another sturdy column fall in the grassroots world. That's Frank Forbath, who founded with his wife Jean in 1970, Share Ourselves, the nonprofit helping farm workers and others living in poverty. He died earlier this month in Costa Mesa. As for today's show, Michelle Baim, Southern California Director of the High Speed Rail, returns to Ask a Leader with the latest breaking details, including big finance and upcoming workshops in both LA and Orange Counties. All aboard! The second segment features the superlative deeds of Kinda Hibrawi, Director of Education at the Karam Karam Foundation, Smart Aid for Syria, and Esra Nawar with the Leatherby Libraries at Chapman University presenting an exhibit later at the very end of this month and continuing until December, A Country Called Syria. Well, we've had enough dumbing down some of these presidential debates, so I'm so glad we have this kind of content to bring everybody more up to speed and educate us about how bad it is in Syria, and this uh, forum will be very useful in Chapman University to improve all of our literacy for sure. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Michelle Baim, ready to bring on all the new developments of California's high-speed rail. Ms. Baim is the Southern California Regional Director for the High-Speed Rail Authority and a board member of both the Los Angeles and Orange County chapter of the Women's Transportation Seminar. Michelle Baim's over 20 years of experience include the engineering firms of CH2M Hill and URS. Among the many projects she's collaborated are the I-15 Corridor System Master Plan, the I-17 Corridor, and Alameda Corridor East. She worked directly with agencies, including the L.A. County Metropolitan Transportation Authority, Port of Los Angeles, California Department of Transportation, Nevada Department Department of Transportation, which is going to come in handy, as you'll hear later, and the Port of L.A., California, let's see, back on, San Diego Association of Governments, Alameda Corridor, um, East Corridor Authority, and several local cities. As Southern California Regional Director for the High Speed Rail Authority, Michelle is a member also of the Board of Directors of the Lausanne Joint Powers Authority, the 350-mile and 51-mile uh, Los Angeles to San Diego, San Luis Obispo Rail Corridor. She co-chairs a regional transportation CEO group focused on high-speed rail issues and participates in both the Southern California and statewide regional rail partners working groups, which focus on passenger rail planning in California. Originally from Huntington Beach, Michelle Bain received her, her BA a degree at Cal State Long Beach. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Michelle Bain. Hey, good morning. It's great to be here. Well, while 
Franciscan Junipero Serra's swath of influence is being examined. Jesuit and Governor Jerry Brown continues to work toward laying down his own pathway, the California high-speed rail. Since we last talked, Ms. Bame, the pace has picked up. Not quite high-speed, but grounds being broken. Real estate is getting consolidated. Locals in Fresno, Bakersfield, Palmdale, and San Fernando are making their sentiments known. And, uh, okay, uh, a moment of silence for those kit foxes. And now the governor's got Chinese rail investors on speed dial. So we'll talk first about the physical, then the fiscal domain of the high-speed rail project. Uh, The collaborative outcomes in Bakersfield, in what's going on, it was the... The uh, lots of negotiation is going on. Are they a model, Michelle, for how the high-speed rail negotiates with successive municipalities? Absolutely. So as you know, and as we talked about last time, we're building an 800-mile all-electric railroad for the state of California, because when you look forward to the things that California will need to be successful in in the future in order to support our economy and our residents, uh, we need to make sure that we have a strong transportation system, which serves as the foundation for commerce, right, the fast and efficient movement of people and goods around the state. And so in order to do that, based on what we see coming up in the future, the population growth, which is projected to get to 50 million by 2050, which is a 12 million addition, we need to have additional transportation choices. And so uh, the state of California is identified and is bringing a new choice to our transportation system, which is this high-speed rail system. And again, The state has a very broad transportation program that covers all modes, right, from from active transportation, your walking and bicycles, all the way up to this high-speed rail program, because we're going to need all of it working efficiently and connecting efficiently together in order to be successful in our future. But... As you can imagine, building an 800-mile railroad takes a lot of work, Um, and that work includes working in partnership with the local cities and counties and agencies that will ultimately play host to the alignment of the high-speed rail project. And that is what we're looking for, and that is what I think uh, the work in Bakersfield um, successfully demonstrates, is that by sitting down at a table and having a discussion and engaging in a partnership to bring this multi-billion dollar investment to the state of California, we can work out answers and be successful and come up with a plan to build this project. So what are some specific lessons learned in that negotiation that might help us understand where you're going to work with the, the San Fernando uh, segment that was, was, they were pretty vocal and they're, they're throwing out a lot of obstacles at you? Uh, basically, it's early, frequent, right, often regular conversation. That's what has to happen in order to be successful. If we lose that opportunity at the beginning, we need to take a step and we need to engage in that and move forward with partners. But we need partners. We need folks that are willing to come to the table, not just with a no, but with ideas about how we can mutually bring this project to the state of California. 
Well, let's let's talk about the most recent forum that you conducted in San Fernando. I think that was around uh, June or July. Uh, San Fernando to Palmdale project section. A recurrent issue was how the high-speed rail right-of-way bifurcates the local setting. How does the High-Speed Rail Authority address this kind of outcome? Well, one thing to keep into mind is, is that there is an existing rail and road corridor right now going through the northeast San Fernando Valley. So, so that um, feature is there right now. Uh, what we are looking at, and again, I want to stress that we are reviewing three or four routes, basically, okay. to connect Palmdale to Burbank, and this particular corridor is only, uh, is only being looked at on one of those routes. So we have not made a final selection as to where our alignment would go, um, but the conversations that we need to have is how do we take a look at this existing feature, right, which is now basically an incision through the community and by bringing high-speed rail in if this was the selected route how do we act as the sutures right to bring the community back together where can we build bridges right to connect the community from one side to another how can we help improve the state of this corridor so that it's more attractive um, than it may be today, right? How can we make sure that we preserve those opportunities for biking and walking uh, for those community members and, frankly, preserve the downtown, historic downtown San Fernando, which is such an important and key uh, feature in the northeast San Fernando Valley? Well, I, I know the High Speed Rail Authority is proud of the amenities that would be a part of the stops along the way and so uh, t- can you say anything more Michelle about this stitching the community together because I know lots of there have been some other transportation corridors that have come down to bring communities together uh, again like on, on deluxe waterfronts all over the country in, the, in major uh, metropolitan areas but is there a, a specific about stitching together that uh, we can we can visualize along with high-speed rail planners so certainly so uh, obviously, we have um, stations, and we will have station cities, but we, are, we also have um, miles and miles of railroad that we need to take a look at. And what we're looking at when we are going to be joining existing rail and transportation corridors is, number one, we want to make sure those corridors are extremely safe. We want to increase the safety by, make, uh, by creating and building grade separations, potentially, to separate vehicle traffic from train traffic. Um, we want to take a look at what types of aesthetic features are in those locations and the, and the ability of those features to reflect the local community. You know, if we're building a wall, if we're building a, a bridge, there are ways to make those look attractive and reflect the character of the community. We need to look for opportunities to span these existing features within these communities, basically provide pedestrian bridges and those types of things. And then we need to look at bigger picture opportunities. If we're building a long linear project, are there opportunities to bring better broadband or fiber internet connectivity to these communities as we bring in our our project? Are there opportunities to design the drainage so that it could recharge the groundwater basin? Um, There are all kinds of opportunities, but it starts with a partner 
um, in that local community from the local agencies to sit down and really identify that menu of opportunities that could be implemented at that particular location. Well, that, that's some pretty important kinds of, uh, well, retrofitting and uh, newly equipping. So uh, does the planning and the uh, the emissaries for the high-speed rail, do you see, uh, what kind of reactions do you see as that transpires in a public meeting? Uh, so I think one of the things that we're really working against is is that there's still a level of concern and there's still more education that we need to do so that people fully understand what we're describing. Because people come to meetings and they're very fearful, right? People, they have had stirred up, they, they are imagining something that may not actually be the reality, right? And so that's why we hold these public meetings, to make sure that we are specifically and clearly explaining what it is that we're proposing to do in a particular location so that they know. This is a large piece of infrastructure, right? Don't get me wrong. We know that it's very hard, and there are a lot of hard discussions to have because of that. Right. But we also believe that it can be a very productive conversation that we can identify opportunities rather than looking at the, you know, the half-empty case. We can look at the half-full case. And not only can we identify opportunities while the project would be constructed and you know, for the high-speed rail authority to consider, but we can also identify opportunities to put on a list of future things to be addressed, um, and we can band together as larger groups in order to seek out the funding and the and and ways to bring those other opportunities to fruition as well. Well, I want while I do a little station idea, give you a moment to think about what was one of the best some of the best ideas that just came fresh to you from a panel uh, from any of these forums. So folks, you're tuned to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guest is High Speed Rail Southern California Director Michelle Bain. We're talking about the previous and then the upcoming public forums on segments planned by the High Speed Rail Authority here in Southern California. So is, is there, can you give us any ideas that you found that came afresh from any of these forums that you'd like to show us, well, this is more fertile than we imagined, these the interactive events. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what is the most important for us from those events is really learning and fully understanding the character of the community, right? What is special? What is it that that community holds dear about them so that we understand that, so that we can work within that fabric, right? rather than working outside of it, you know? And, and we've learned so many things about how amazing, for instance, the city of San Fernando is and their downtown uh, business district and the history there, right? We've learned amazing things about what's going on in Acton, you know, and how, the, how they're living their lives and, and the places that they gather um, and the historic properties that are there and the things that they are doing. Palmdale, right, the city of L.A., Burbank, Glendale, right, they all have um, 
different features and different things that are critically important to them. And as we sit down and talk to those communities, you know, we begin to learn, right? Where is that restaurant that everybody gathers on a Thursday night, right? Where are those features? And and then, frankly, what are their hopes and dreams for the future? You know, what, what are the things that they want to be good at in the future that maybe, you know, maybe they haven't quite been able to realize yet? So those are the types of things that we're getting. Well, I, I can't resist, uh, Michelle. I when I, I heard and read about Tippi Hedren's opposition to the project, I guess your your graphic artist for the uh, High Speed Rail Authority could be quickly jotting down some kind of motifs that could become some some platform art that commemorate what she's doing with her animal preserve, you know? <laughs> so can I be very, very clear? We are not interrupting Tippi's current property at all. We are well over a mile away from her property, Uh so there would be absolutely no impact to Tippy's property from the current alignments, every single current alignment that we're looking at right now. There is not not a conceptual alignment we're looking at that would have any impact on her property. Just just so that you could maybe bring, get her on board with a, not not a pun intended there, but with some kind of graphic depiction of nearby work, like you said, getting to know the character of the area. Well, Michelle, tell us about the upcoming forums contemplated in the Southland. That's uh, Anaheim, Buena Park, Fullerton, Norwalk, Pico Rivera. Tell us who be uh, appearing, representing the High Speed Rail Authority at those forums. Yeah, so um, very similar to the work that we've been doing for the Palmville to Burbank section that we just kind of talked about, we're going to begin that consultation, that early consultation, basically, with the communities to begin to form our understanding and knowledge of the character of those communities. And so for our Los Angeles to Anaheim segment, which goes from LA Union Station to the Arctic Station, about 30 miles, we are going to begin those public workshops so that we will be bringing out to the public both a brief presentation that I will be giving, um, and we will also be bringing a whole team of specialists, both environmental specialists, urban planning specialists, and engineering specialists, um, and flat screen TVs that have pictures of current conceptual route ideas as well as other features and things um, in order to draw out a conversation to help us to begin to catalog and fully understand how we would ultimately design a route to go uh, to follow that particular corridor. We will also be rolling out public meetings for Bakersfield to Palmdale at the same time. So we will be talking to those communities up there because that particular section is also under uh, the uh, direction of the Southern California office. So that would be an 80-mile route going uh, from the outskirts of the Bakersfield Station all the way down to the planned Palmdale Station. And we will be doing exactly the same thing in that community. So those are planned. There's not a specific date yet, but they are virtually around the corner in the next two months, are they not? Yes, and there are specific dates. We will be beginning our Bakersfield to Palmdale meetings on the 30th of September. Uh, and we can get you the full list of the meetings. Uh, again, they, they are in the communities across that alignment. And then we will be beginning the meetings for Los Angeles to Anaheim, I believe, in the middle of October. I think October 15th is the first planned meeting there. Okay. And so folks can always go to the 
will direct you the, to the website hsr.ca.gov and you will be able to find the most uh, current postings for those forms in which you could participate. Any, just briefly, Michelle, what, what would you suggest a participant do to get the most out of the forum? I suggest they come in um, and they learn as much as they can. Uh, they come in and they listen to the presentation to understand the larger context of the setting, and then they go to each of the stations where different types of materials will be presented, whether it be engineering or environmental or urban planning or other, and they talk with the representatives there and ask the questions they have about what they're seeing so that they really understand what we're talking about. I think knowledge is the knowledge and facts are the most important thing that we have here to help people move through. Okay, let's now go on to the fiscal about uh, updates on funding. How does the high-speed rail and the state of California intend to fully fund the initial $6 billion construction phase? Now, the feds are contributing, which has to be matched by state funds. This has to all be spent by 9-2017. That's just two years from now. How is that going to work? We have a clear plan in order to be able to spend that money, and so that $6 billion project is completely funded right now with the combination of the state funds and the federal funds. And then, as you're probably also aware, we were um, allocated 25% of ongoing cap-and-trade revenues in uh, June of 2014, and so we now also have an additional funding stream coming into the mix. But um, that $6 billion project is completely funded uh, by those two funding sources, and we have a clear plan to accomplish the construction required in order to use those funds by the sunset date. As you would imagine, building a brand-new railroad is, is a, a, uh, a big undertaking, and so um, it, it should there is no problem, basically, with spending that money down. So... No, I didn't think there'd be spending, but just making sure you spend it in t- due time. And it's it's all, it's the physical. It's not, none of this goes into a legal uh, kind of expenses. It's all physical kind of improvements and, and planning. Yes, yeah, so we would be completing the planning, basically, you know, completing the work we're doing with the city of Burbank, right, or excuse me, the city of Bakersfield right now. But as you know, um, I, I think we have over $2 billion in construction contracts awarded for the work up there right now. We have another construction contract that will be awarded by the end of the year. Uh, we don't have the price on that yet because it hasn't been turned in, right? We, we do a combination best value, price and qualification for these awards. We have begun the vertical construction of the system in the Central Valley right now. The Fresno River Bridge is being constructed right now. We have a really aggressive uh, project or or plan underway to have multiple bridges under construction by the end of this year. Um, That money is going to start flying out of the the bank. So we'll We'll explore a bit um, at a later date, but uh, you can say pointedly this, the vertical construction, more facts in the ground, so to speak, must be creating a bit of uh, helping uh, create some momentum of support for the system. Yeah, I think that the the real, um, the 
corner that we turned basically with the construction was to be able to have a discussion about when. Rather than have a discussion about if yes. high-speed rail right. ever happens, right. we get to now have a much more productive conversation about when high-speed rail happens. And that really, really helps us to be more productive, to sit down with partners, to come up with solutions so that we can make it happen. Well, productive or more powerful, I guess you could. Re- it's amping up. Well, as attention now is turning toward Chinese financing of the Las Vegas, the Express West, these are plans to develop, finance, build, and operate the Southwest Rail Network with stations in Las Vegas, Nevada, to Victorville, to Palmdale, and service contemplate all the way through L.A. Tell us um, there was a, an Express a, a release now just last week with the Chinese consortium to build this high-speed rail from L.A. to Victorville, Palmdale. Um, tell us about how that is uh, having an impact on financing first, and then we'll talk about public support. Well, I think it's really exciting, right, that we're having this progress towards high-speed rail uh, being brought to the United States. And so any positive news on high-speed rail, regardless of which system and which owner it is, and I want to be clear, right, that this is a different system and a different owner than the California program, is really exciting. It has an exciting, um, you know, effect on all of the projects uh, that we would be doing, including the high-speed rail project. Um, And so, you know, over time, uh, we have certainly been uh, in conversations with the agency um, to make sure that we are planning systems that are interoperable. And I want to be clear, right, that they're planning their system and we're planning our system, but we're planning the most efficient uh, use of these systems so that they could interact and speak together at that Palmdale location in the future. Um, And I think it just demonstrates how much interest there is in the in the international setting in terms of investing in high-speed rail in the southwest region of the United States. And, of course, we have gone out. We got a jump on this, and in June we went out and released what we call an RFEI, a Request for Expression of Interest, to the private sector to propose to us their ideas and their interest in investing in the California high-speed rail system. And we expect those to come back to us on the 28th of this month, and we're very, very excited that this uh, announcement by Express West is just the tip of the iceberg, and we're going to get investors from around the globe coming in and saying they want to invest in high-speed rail, California high-speed rail as well. So I really think it primes that pump. Well, I guess there's there's always casino uh, money up for better for better or for worse. That uh, that that's additional funds that, that they are certainly would be uh, standing to gain from this kind of access that opens up no more parking lot to get to Las Vegas but people could zip their way over there so it's a I, I, I just thought about that I was thinking of Chinese investments and that are are directed toward safe investments in this country with their plummeting economy but now that I think about it there's the there's the uh, capital that's sitting right there in Las Vegas that's ready to be uh, invested too so I, I, I guess you really have a lot to work with there. 
Well, fundamentally, the travel market between Southern California and Vegas is, is, is enormous. You know, there are many, many millions of people that travel from here to there every year. They get somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 million, and 90% of those folks are taking their cars. So for our overall transportation system, if we're able to provide an alternative that gives people a choice to take their car or take a rail trip, I think those are going to be really, really positive, not only, you know, for the folks who choose to go to Vegas, but for the folks who are choosing to drive around in their cars on our highways, right? It's going to free up space, basically, for us to move our people and goods around faster. So when you look at any of these projects, there are very big picture implications to providing additional transportation choices um, that are really, really positive. Well, you do talk about uh, on your website that you've got this rideshare sign agreement with Lyft and the and the, the Chinese investors, and you've already talked about uh, multimodal linkages, bikes to the trail. So it's a I'm I'm really applauding the multimodal element of this high speed rail planning. I must say. Well, thank you very much. That's the way that we plan the most effectively for the future. You know, our goal, this is a multi-billion dollar investment in the state of California. And our goal is to make sure that every dollar we invest in this gets us a $2 or a $3 return in that investment. And the ways that we do that is by collaborating with other agencies and making sure that we're planning for this connectivity for the future. Well, Michelle, we have no more time left. I know there's more details to unpackage with this, but I'm I'm looking forward to the mid-October. That's the closest public forum coming up to our area. That's October 15th, you're saying. And so there'll be folks more details on the hsr.ca.gov website. Michelle Bame, it's been a pleasure talking with you again. All right. Thank you very much. We invite you to our meeting. All right. Thank you. That was Michelle Bame, High Speed Rail Southern California Director, talking about the latest and the greatest with this High Speed Rail. We'll be right back after a short break with our next guest, Kinda Hibrawi and Esra Nawar, who endeavor to bridge the gulf between things Arab and non-Arab. Be right back. We're off the rails, and we're going to now bridge communities with my next guests. Welcome back to the show and here on Ask a Leader. My guests, as the world burns, as Syrian refugees make their way in Syria and beyond Syria, I honor my two guests, Kinda Hibrawi and Esra Nawar, who are two women with one heady mission, raising funds and awareness about the Syrian refugees. Kinda Hibrawi is the Education and Creative Director for Karam Foundation, an internationally recognized Syrian-American painter specializing in the art of Arabic calligraphy. Kinda works to bridge cultural misunderstandings between Arabs and Americans through her art. She has completed projects for the U.S. State Department, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, and UNICEF. While at Karam Foundation, she co-founded Zaytuna, a creative therapy and wellness program for displaced Syrian children. After the success of the first mission in June 2013, she has led three Zaytuna missions, coordinating over 70 international mentors, serving over 2,000 displaced Syrian children. Originally from Aleppo, 
Syria. Kinda grew up in Saudi Arabia, has lived in Lebanon, Bahrain, and now resides, but of course, in Irvine, California. She has been featured on all the main media outlets and comes to us today from Boston. My other guest, Esra Nawar, is originally from Egypt. Prior to moving to California, she's worked at the New Library of Alexandria, including rare and unique gifts. Ezra has studied, lived, and worked in the Gulf area, Qatar, Washington, D.C., and where she worked for the Embassy of uh, Saudi Arabia and has now made her home most recently with her family in Orange County, California. Esra earned her bachelor's degree in business at Alexandria University, Egypt, and her MBA from the American Management Business Administration Institute in Cambridge, and Master's of Arts in Organizational Leadership at Brandman University. She's currently pursuing a Master of Library Information Science at San Jose State University, and I want to say uh, Kinda Hibrawi has uh, earned her uh, work, uh, learned, earned her degree at uh, Cal State Fullerton. Esra comes today from the nearby city of Orange, and as I said, Kinda from Boston. She's on the road today. Both of you, welcome to Ask a Leader. Thank you. Thank you very much, Claudia. Okay, I think the first one was Esra, and we have Kinda on the second voice. Yes, that's uh, correct. Okay, we'll, we'll do that from time to time. I'll steer folks. Well, both of you are about interfaith dialogue, empowering Muslim women, and, and certainly supporting children that are are on the on the lamyard it's such an important time to hear about how both of you are getting this done so let's let's first talk about those zaytuna missions into syria kinda the multitude of practices and the interventions that Qadam foundation is offering there yeah actually we've been five times and november will be our sixth okay. uh, trip yeah, so we've been working on, we work on the Syrian-Turkish border. We, um, it's through our innovative education programs, and um, we basically take over a Syrian refugee school for a week with mentors from around the world, and we do these workshops. So the workshops range from anything, coding, entrepreneurship, to music, art, journalism, we also take a full dental mission, and now we've also included vision screening. Um, and lastly, the most recent trip in May, we also took a yoga instructor, which the kids absolutely loved. So it's been really rewarding to see sort of them be inspired to get creative and learn new skills. Oh, great. Well, the it, back in Syria, the infrastructure, that is the lack of it, is something that I'm sure we Western comfortable uh, residents really can't wrap our mind around that this infrastructure, the lack of it is that the, what the, these refugees have been dismembered from, we in a thriving society surely take for granted. So some of your, your early beneficiaries from the program, they've left, some are in Turkey, and some are still dodging firefighting and barrel dropping anytime, anywhere now for these last four years. Tell us... Uh, a little bit about what those refugees that are coming out of that, they're meeting you in Turkey, they're just a, just a little bit about what that they're reckoning with and why you're, what you're providing in the way of, of a, a semblance of some kind of social, recreational uh, cult, uh, kind of infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kadam Foundation, you know, we do lots of humanitarian aid work also inside Syria, so... Um, you know, the innovative pro and education program takes place on the border in Turkey, but, 
you know, we do a milk, a, a monthly milk program where we have a milk distribution center in a town called Benish. It's northern Syria, and we provide 800 babies with um, milk formulas. Um, we also make sure to have a learn, this Learn Not Earn program, which is taking children out of uh, child labor. So we have about 40 kids that we support um, that you can support also as a donor, basically helping the families uh, with their basics. So, you know, for $200 a month, you can make sure to have that child back in school instead of working, um, you know, in Turkey. The other thing that we do is sustainable businesses. We support sustainable businesses. For example, we support 50 displaced uh, women in Damascus, inside Damascus, with this uh, soap initiative. And in fact, we're going to have those soaps available at the Chapman Talk that I'm, uh, that you know, Isra has so kindly worked on and put together, and has invited me to speak at. And that's going to be on September 30th. Yes. Um, so that'll be available then. Yeah. We'll talk about that program. Uh- shortly um and so but i back to the the work you're doing with zaytuna i i think it's interesting in preparation for this interview uh, kinda you've told me that you're concentrating just on this endeavor that you just have had to put your blinders on many other breaking developments that are off mission tell us a, what you're telling me about yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it is overwhelming, and the news recently is certainly... Um, it's grim. You know, a lot, yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, as a Syrian myself, it's really heartbreaking, and I know, you know, I'm here now in Boston speaking to uh, high schools, a bunch of high schools here, and also, you know, doing some advocacy work. Um, and what I'm getting the message from Americans here on the ground is, you know, that... Uh, that uh, we're, we feel helpless. We're overwhelmed also by the news. We don't know what to do, but we do care, and we're trying to find ways to help. Um, so I think part of our job as a foundation, at Kedem Foundation, is to provide ways to help, is to kind of guide people how to help because the news is so overwhelming. And, you know, it does feel far from people. It feels it is on the other side of the world, and um, why should we even care? Well, you know, when you're talking about the the lives, the deaths of 300,000 people, you know, it's the largest refugee crisis since World War II. It's almost 70 years. It's a human problem that we have. It's a global issue. Um, this crisis is, you know, of of a great. It's a huge. It's a huge crisis that we should all be not just concerned about, but feel responsible to do something about. You know, too. Well, and, and speak straight into that. I think we're losing some, they're trailing a little bit with the phone connection there in Boston. But uh, I think we could consider investments made through what Karam is doing could be a, a multiplier effect in trying to, to deal with the, the greater complications of people repatriating much farther away. That you're, if you're able to help people nearby in Turkey and, and maybe even inside Syria, you're able to get a great deal more than um, as as co- cost rack up with people that are 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 fleeing further away um yeah you know again it's about trying to help people on the ground trying to ask them what they need um which is what we call our smart aid you know yes. uh, category so it's instead of giving them what we think they need big part of what we do at the foundation is um, working with NGOs, Syrian NGOs, in fact, and that we've partnered with on the ground inside Syria. 
you know, we do an initiative where we help to rebuild schools that have been bombed, um, you know, and they need to be rebuilt. They're in, they're in complete shambles. So that's an initiative we do with NGOs and uh, inside Syria, basically, in Damascus and Aleppo, the outskirts um, of Hama. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, as a foundation, we do that is in collaboration with others, and that's really important also for us. Indeed. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine uh, and streaming on the web at KUCI.org. My guests are Kinda Hibrawi of the Karam Foundation at Smart Aid for Syria and Esra Nawar with the Leatherby Libraries at Chapman University. They'll be presenting an exhibit, A Country Called Syria, opening Wednesday. That's a week from uh, tomorrow, continuing until December. Well, let's have let's hear from Ezra now. Tell us about what is happening there at Chapman, with in conjunction with the Leatherby Libraries that are presenting this exhibit. All right. Thank you, Claudia, for for your time and having us join your show. It's really exciting. Uh, I'm sure m- most people know about Chapman here in Orange County, but Chapman is really more than just academic. Part of our mission is to educate stu- students to be global citizens. And I think an event like A Country Called Syria is really a true evidence of how we're trying to fulf- fulfill this goal. And uh, I have the honor here at Chapman to co-chair uh, the Arts Exhibits and Events Committee of the Library, where we put together diverse and rich programming and exhibition throughout the year that uh, complement the curriculum and the study and the research of faculty and students. And we're really excited because not only this uh, exhibition is very special, but also it's relevant to what's happening all over the world to Syria and the Syrian refugees. So what we're trying to do here is always tackle the humanitarian perspective, perspective, the culture, the religion. And uh, I happen to know my good friend Maria Khani, uh, who's actually the main curator of that exhibition, and we're hosting it here at our Library of Special Collections and Archives. And she, along with her daughter, Dania, her, uh, Danielle Khouli, and also her friends, Mona and Nasreen, put together um, this exhibition to share, really, the treasures and the history and the culture uh, of, the, of Syria as a, as a country, which is really rich in all of this. With the world and with people in Southern California, they have actually uh, traveled between other venues, but this is the first time they're exhibiting in, in an academic setting, right? And uh, which is really great because we're going to bring a lot of academic perspective. In addition to Kinda, we have a, a couple of professors speaking. Uh, we also have a very special exhibit called Kids Giving Hope to Kids, and it just happened that I met this a lady called Lynn Matthews who started this project about a couple of years ago in which she uses art to empower the children of uh, the Syrian refugees, specifically the children. Uh, She goes to uh, northern Iraq, Afghanistan, and of course she lives here in the U.S. to have those kids inspire the displaced Syrian refugee kids uh, by art. So, And those kids exchange drawings and greetings uh, in Arabic, in English, and sometimes in Farsi, and she brings them uh, back uh, to refugee camps uh, in northern Iraq. So it's a beautiful, beautiful exhibition in our first floor of the Leatherby Library and we'll also have Lynn 
speak. She, in fact, she is right now in uh, in one of those camps talking to the Syrian children, and she's going to bring back those stories to us and kind of bring them to life. So we're really, really excited, not only because of its relevance, but because of how powerful this message um, uh, that we're trying to say um, here at Chapman. So I'm very excited, and I hope everyone can join us. The event is on um, Wednesday, October, uh, September 30th, yes. from 5 to 7, and we have uh, Aleppo Restaurant, uh, generously funded by Karm Foundation, actually um, um, ha- sharing some Syrian appetizers and drinks, and we're going to have Al- Arabic calligraphy, and we're going to have some performances. So it's going to be great, and if people want to um, tune in and, uh, and just ch- get more information, then they, they can go to chapman.edu um, backslash Leatherby Libraries. They can get more information about this event, and they can um, uh, learn about it and can join us. The event is free, and the exhibition is going to be up through December 30th. Right through the end of the year then. Yes, yes. They can come in and get, have a self-guided tour, and it's a wonderful, wonderful exhibition. So. Well, very fine. I I did have uh, Miss Alkuli uh, on this show a couple of years ago. She presented an exhibit in Huntington Beach. It was a a one day event, and so she's she's got this down. And so you've got so many other people that have been deeply involved and can really improve our understanding of what is like going on there. And I don't know if your uh, Zetuni has been able, uh, Kinda, to are they involved with some of this art exchange? No, we haven't been. Um, this will be my first time seeing them, too. Okay, so well... I'm excited for this. So there's probably a way to tack on with this exchange and interplay, and I, I, can't, I can't even imagine how uh, enriching that kind of uh, reach is for uh, those bo- parties at both ends to be exchanging that art. But I, I, it looks like a Zatuni natural, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, We're trying to actually... Uh, to, to have this exhibition to go to other places across uh, Southern California, specifically academic institutions, because this is when uh, students get exposed to these cultures and, and think about it and think what's happening. Uh, and when people see these things, they, it gets them really starting a conversation of understanding. And we've done that many, many times here at Chapman. In fact, last year, we also hosted an exhibition called Egypt, the Revolution Continues, yes. uh, which was a great event um, uh, where we highlighted photos from the late photo journalist um, uh, Ali Mustafa, who was actually killed in Syria while covering that um, revolution there. So it was a a wonderful exhibition, and in fact, the Moseo in Anaheim is exhibiting some of those photos later in November as part of our loan agreement with them. So it was a fantastic exhibition, again, uh, telling the story of of the Egyptian revolution and which how women, kids, everyone, uh, people from different religions and backgrounds were really peacefully demonstrating against the the regime out there in Egypt a few years ago. So we try to do this at Chapman. Uh, Also, one of the biggest things that we do um, uh, to also highlight cultures and different religions, we have a huge uh, partnership with the Sikh community, the Sikh Indian community. And for the past two years, we've hosted uh, a few programs along with the Sikh Lands Film Festival. So we hosted the Sikhs in the Great War, in which we we told the story and the contributions of the Sikh Indians in the Great Wars. We also last year um, hosted 1984 not forgotten, which commemorated the thousands of Sikh men and women and children who died in the genocide in India that year. This year in November, in fact, the opening is going to be November 19 or the 20th. We're still debating on the date, but you can go on the website and see that. Uh, that tells the story of the life of Dalip Singh, the last emperor of the Sikhs who lost the world's largest diamond to the Queen Victoria.
for you. So we try to do these things and we try to raise the awareness um, through cultural uh, and, and religious programming that, that is deeply supported here uh, by Chapman because one of the missions is, is to educate students to be global citizens. So we're very excited about that. And you don't have to be too modest. We can direct listeners also to your own website where you are genially offering dialogue, replying in dialogue with people that are trying to get their heads set on the um, on things Islam. And uh, I want to give you a, a, an opportunity just to mention that website, too. Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. They uh, People, I mean, um, I also myself write, uh, write for the Huffington Post and for the Orange County Register, try to bitch that, that gap. As an Egyptian-American Muslim woman, I have I feel like I have a diverse background and kind of started to write that story and this narrative uh, about three, four years ago. And uh, people have been really excited to hear me uh, and to hear this narrative because it, it's changing perspectives about how people see um, Arabs and Middle Eastern and Muslim women in general living in the United States. So uh, so if they, if they want to go and see what I wrote uh, in both the Huffington and the Register, they can just log in to estranawar.com and read that. And I'm happy to take questions. And again, uh, I don't claim that I'm a, an Islamic scholar by any means. I, I'm just, I just feel that there is a narrative there that uh, Somebody should share, and somebody should know that um, you know this is this is the way uh, Muslims and Arabs live in this country, and uh, the, the the easiest way is to embed yourself in the society, but not really lose your identity and, uh, and know, know who you are, and also share your culture with other people and find it more interesting when when people think that way. Well, unfortunately, on radio we can't show your images, the two of you, but you both would be a demonstration of the range of of Islam in terms of how you uh, follow, uh, observe various aspects of Islam and, uh, and, and Arab culture. I think it's, um, uh, you two present a, a, a diverse range of, of ways of being and, uh, and solidly are similarly devoted to uh, advancing an understanding of, of things Arab, things Islam, and, uh, and the unfolding events in Syria. So um, I wanted to just give you a chance... Uh, Kinda to give listeners a way of following your events, how they can uh, contribute, uh, how they can get in touch with you to contribute resources that are really what you need. Yeah, I mean, definitely like us on Facebook or on Twitter. We just recently got a grant from Twitter, in fact, um, Congratulations. a $10,000 grant where we're allowed now to do um, advertising on the Twitter sphere. So we're really excited. It's been very generous of Twitter um, to do that for us. So definitely follow us there, Instagram. Um, certainly go to the website. There's lots of resources there, lots of ways to also understand what's happening and what you can do to help because I think at the end of the day, we are all you know global citizens of the world and you know, we're just trying to figure out what to do. And I think, like I said, part of the reason I'm even here in Boston is to relay that message, advocacy, raising awareness. Um, but we, we can't do this without the funds, of course, to do that. Um, so your support, people's donations, is really key to continue the, the work that we're doing on the ground. It's such important work. So, folks, this is going to be coming up. It's a, it's a, a Saturday, a week from this Saturday, on September 30th. There from 12 to 7. There at Chapman University at the Leatherby's uh, Library. There and 
ongoing with the, each mission. So uh, to uh, into Turkey uh, along the near the border uh, to Syria, and Borkinda is going to be taking Zaytuna back again. So when is the sixth mission? November third, uh, November eighth through the thirteenth is when we're going. So um, we're calling getting, all resources. <laughs> yep. No, we have thirty-eight people going, so we're good on our team. Um, really, we 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 plan this months in advance. We recruit people months in advance. At this point, we're like getting our plane tickets, figuring out people's workshops and schedules. Um, so yeah, I mean it's. It, and it's certainly you have to you have to apply and you have to go through an interview process or get referred. Um, we make sure to screen people before if we've never met them. Um, so you know, and that the workshop makes sense to um, the foundation and to the kids, of course. So I guess Zaytun is going to have a a place at the table at the country called Syria next uh, next week. Yes, there will yes. be. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, very excited. I mean, Isra reached out to me, and, you know, we'd never met before, and this was a great opportunity not only to collaborate together, but also, um, you know, to reach out to the community through Chapman. And, in fact, you know, I do. I, I end up speaking at many universities, and Chapman is my first California university to speak at, so I'm really honored, very excited, um, you know, is thrilled to to be working with Isra on this too. Yeah, we're we're very excited, and we're, we're expecting a huge turnout. And again, it's uh, um, it's Wednesday, September thirtieth, from five to seven. Uh, there will be food, there will be um, speakers, there will be music, and then uh, uh, an excellent opportunity to to see the exhibition while the curators are there, and they're going to have a table as well to talk. You know, get a chance to talk to people and um, you know share this culture and share some coffee and some desserts. It's going to be really wonderful. I'm very excited about this opportunity. And and again, it's going to be available for three months for people to come back. And it's also an excellent opportunity for people to see what Karam is, is doing, because we try to collaborate with uh, uh, a lot of NGOs across Orange County. And uh, last year, for example, um, we collaborated with the Egyptian Cancer Network that supports uh, cancer uh, patients, specifically children in Egypt, in conjunction with the Egyptian Revolution exhibition. Wow. Also with our Sikh, um, Sikh events, we also collaborate with uh, a a lot of uh, uh, Sikh NGOs that support um, Sikh Indians in, in India or, or even here in Orange County. So we try to do this uh, collaborative effort not only to raise awareness, um, you know, about Chapman and about the things that we do and raise um, this profile, but also raise awareness of, uh, of other NGOs that, that, are, that are doing wonderful work across the nation uh, to help, you know, the, be the world a, a better place. So that exhibit, again, uh, I'll correct what I said earlier, I meant it is Wednesday, September 30th, not yes. the earlier date I mentioned, and 5 to 7. Yes. So then uh, continuing all the way through December, and we'll, uh, there, with the information on that website, folks, you can find out what hours that you can go to that library. Right, so, exactly. uh, Kinda Hibrawe and Esra Noir, I want to thank you both for being on the show today. This has just been a, a delight to be able to bring this heady kind of missionary mission work that you're doing uh, not to be confusing with other kinds uh, and so I applaud you wish you well and hope to see you in, in a week and a day. Alright, perfect Fantastic, okay. thank, thank you so Jen. much Claudia Th- Thank you thank so you, Claudia. much. Thank you Claudia. Thank you All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye Well, folks in closing Next week on the show, we'll tantalize you with the upcoming solar decathlon and then some worthy science and worthy background story with Dr. Leslie Thompson, professor of psychiatry 
Human Behavior Neurobiology and Behavior and Bi- Biological Chemistry at UCI. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>